Welcome to episode number 38 of Taking You to the Top. Today's guest is the founder and principal of Barnett Strategies. Chris founded Barnett Strategies to apply his experience to the challenges and goals of software and SaaS startups. Are you a lead investor in or a technical founder of an early-stage software or SaaS company who's ready to turn your IP and software code into big successes? If so, have a chat with Chris about how to get big revenue results, big deals signed, and big valuation growth. Join Rami in welcoming him to the show. If you have any questions for our guest today, please leave them in the comments section below. Also, if you'd like to get more data on any of our guests, please download the Taking You to the Top app from our website. That being said, we hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode of Taking You to the Top. In this podcast, Rami spends time speaking with founders and CEOs from across the globe and asks them specific questions to learn exactly how they built and launched their businesses. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn. Are you ready to take it to the top? All right, Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. It's episode number 38 of Taking You to the Top. Hi, Rami. It's great to see you and talk with you. I appreciate your time today, and thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. So, Chris, if you could get us started by introducing yourself and take us back from the beginning, tell us where you're from, where your journey started, and how that led you to founding Barnett Strategies. Sure. So, uh, so obviously, I'm Chris Barnett, and I'm the founder and principal of Barnett Strategies. Uh, and we're based here in uh, Kansas City, home of the uh, Super Bowl champion Chiefs. I grew up in uh, Yonkers, just outside New York. Um, also lived in Chicago for about 10 years. And out of, out of school, I went to Columbia University. Out of school, I worked at a company, small, grew uh, massive became monster.com, the job board website. Ah, okay. Um, and I and I started there even before I finished school. I think I was 19. Uh, and I didn't go back for a junior year of college because I found the job and got promoted. And uh, they were in the in the advertising business at the time. Uh, okay. And uh, it was like a paper pushing job. And eventually I got enough promotions that I had a, a, a role that was really kind of a sales role. Um, and I didn't know anything about sales, but uh, somebody pushed me to learn what sales really was. Uh, and I said, you know, this isn't that hard if somebody teaches you how to do it. So I became a salesperson and eventually a sales executive, um, okay. somewhat accidentally. Uh, and Monster grew tremendously. I think we went from $50 million of revenue to $4 billion in an IPO. So that was some pretty cool experience experience to have in your in your 20s um, absolutely and then I really yeah and then I really wanted to work in the internet space like so many people in that time but uh -huh. job listings was kind was kind of a crappy boring category on the internet it was a lot of money but it was not a fun category so sure. I was fascinated with with mapping uh, so I went to work I was in Chicago and I went to work at Rand McNally and they had all these paper maps and I led the effort to do 
you know, a lot of the internet-based mapping, and uh, especially I worked on mapping for cell phones, for smartphones, even before they were smart. Uh, okay. And so I got into G GPS, and I was and I was leading uh, like digital online, and especially cell phone marketing and and sales. And so we had some really early successes, like the first maps that were on phones. And that's been a trend in my career as I've worked on sort of the emerging things that now we look back and we say, of course, we have maps on phones. But at the time, it was like, holy crap, a map on my phone. <laughs> uh, so, so I got to know everybody that was working on, you know, location services and data and, you know, the next wave of data services at, you know, AT&T and Verizon and all those companies, when those, you know, now those departments are like 700 people, but I got to meet them when they were like four people and they were pioneers, right? right? So, you know, I was kind of a mobile app pioneer, I would say. Uh, sure. So we had, we had some really cool success on mobile apps for mapping. Um, then I worked for a company called Handmark in Kansas City that did, uh, news and sports and weather and all kinds of services on the smartphone in the early days like the trio uh -huh. uh, that that went really well for a half a dozen years and i, I jumped to work for uh blingo which became uh, like the best alternative to siri and so then interesting things started to happen because because that company got bought out for quite a bit of money like 225 million dollars and that did really well in that candidly uh, this uh, is Vlingo? This is Vlingo, yeah. Uh, okay. Vlingo with a V. Uh, Vlingo. And, then the, and so that was great. I said, okay, how do we do that again? Uh, and, you know, I found that locally here in Kansas City, uh, a friend of mine had a company that was doing biometrics for phones at the very early stage based on your eye, a company called iVerify. So I went to join there really early. Um, we had some roller coaster -y stuff of getting customers and crazy things happening, but ended up selling that company for over a hundred million dollars. And we only raised, we only raised eight. Uh, so that was great for investors. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And then after, and then after, after that acquisition, I, I really wanted to take some time off because I was tired and I'd been tra traveling all over the world and went to China 10 times and traveling every week. Uh, so, you know, we wrapped up the post acquisition stuff and I went to LinkedIn and I said, Hey, I'm taking some time off. And I started getting pings on LinkedIn like, hey, will you come out to San Francisco and consult with us? Because we'd like to talk to you. And I, no, I, I don't want to be a consultant. I'm, I'm working on my golf game. I'm going to be late for Pilates. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't want to be a consultant. And they said, well, we'll pay you. It'll be a consultancy. So okay. somebody, a friend of mine, uh, gave me the idea. I'm like, consultancy. So I did that. And they paid me a couple grand to spend a day in San Francisco. Uh -huh. And so then as a joke on LinkedIn, on LinkedIn, I did a post saying I'm, I'm on sabbatical and I'm consulting. And like every week, somebody would introduce me to someone or someone would come through LinkedIn uh, or otherwise through my network and say, oh, you're consulting. Great. You know, what are your rates and what can we do? Like, I was joking. <laughs> you know, uh, and so I had a really hard time taking, taking time off that summer of 2017 because people kept pinging me. Uh, you know, and the funny thing about, I, so I eventually founded Barnett Strategies and said to my wife, I don't know that I need a real job because I can do this. Well, uh, that, that was actually going to be my next question, but I think you sort of answered it. 
So you kind of fell into this sort of by chance almost. Yeah, because, and I've always said, hey, you have to listen to the market. If the market wants A and B, you shouldn't be focusing on C. So when right. the market, it said to me, Barnett, we want you to be a consultant for us. Like, okay, well, if this many people think it's a good idea, it must be. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so that's, so then really toward the end of the summer of, uh, of 2000, you know, 17, I got a website and business cards and a logo and I tried to do all that as professionally as I could. So um, is, that, is that when you officially launched 2017? Yes. Okay. Well, um, Chris, if you could tell us uh, more specifically what Barnett Strategies does and who your clients are, who are you focusing on? Yeah, so, so Barnett Strategies helps uh, entrepreneurs and founders of tech companies get growth results. You know, we'd okay. like to say that we, we help people turn code into cash. Uh, okay. And, our, and so we work in the enterprise B2B space. That's our focus. Uh -huh. It's a range of technologies, you know, a pretty broad range of technologies because our recipe works across, you know, whether it's uh, AI or autonomous vehicles or IoT or, you know, machine learning, uh, you know, it's pretty sort of independent of, of the particular vertical as long as it is technology, it is something, you know, compelling uh, and it's in the enterprise, enterprise space. And, you know, kind of the sweet spot for us uh, is the technical founder or the technical co-founder um, that really needs help turning their inventions and their innovations, uh, you know, into into real business. Um, sure. And that's 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 really where our focus is. Okay. And and how is the revenue model set up for this? Is it like purely consulting, or do you have any other aspects? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, you know, what I learned in the first month of doing this is I, at first I thought I was going to be a consultant, you know, like right. you see the big consultant guys come in and they make this long presentation and then they get paid. And, you know, that doesn't work with startups, right? I'm about, I'm about 40 minutes into my first PowerPoint presentation, you know, yeah. and, the founder's like, hey, and the founder's like, hey, great slides, buddy, but stop because we need sales, we need revenue, we need leads, we need customers, we don't need slides. <laughs> right, so right. What, are you, what are you gonna do? Like, oh, okay, so you need execution. Uh, so we're a contractor and consultant in the sense that we're not W2 employees, but we are not consultants in the sense of stand around and tell you what to do and then leave. So we identify how we can execute you know, as a fractional CMO, as a fractional chief sales officer, as a lead generation team, writing presentations, participating in customer meetings, coming up with action plans. You know, we don't do everything, but we, we typically do significant uh, execution and, and program management to, to encompass the things that we aren't doing ourselves. Uh, and that's, and so you asked about the revenue model. So that's what we do. Uh, and there's always some retainer, uh, okay. and then there's always some incentive, right? Cause everybody wants things to be success based and that's fair. We always have that. And then if it's a founder, I really believe in, then I'm happy to trade some, you know, cash compensation for some equity so that we have upside and so that interests are aligned. Uh, and that's usually the three part structure. Okay. 
I mean, that, that's clear. And I was really hoping to hear that because uh, I guess that's a huge differentiator between a, a regular consultant who is not success-based and you. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Okay. And um, what's your current company team size? Yeah, so we are, uh, you know, all together, including me, uh, I added up to about seven uh, full-time equivalents, seven FTEs right now. Okay, got it. Um, okay, Chris, uh, if you don't mind, we just briefly, we'll just talk about the economics of the company. When you, when you started the company, I'm assuming because it's service-based, you were bootstrapped. Is that That's correct? Right. Yes. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And do you think you would consider any kind of funding, or do you even require it? At it? Do you see that there's a requirement for funding at any point to scale? Yeah, that's a good question. But you know, because we've had good luck in bringing in clients from first day, uh, you know, it's always been cash flow positive. And uh, right. my understanding is that a consulting business is really not investable like a software business would be. So, so no. Sure. I mean, I have heard of some investments take place in this uh, field, but like you said, it's not, it's not so common. Yeah, that's right. That's my, that's my impression. And we certainly don't, we certainly don't require it. Perfect. Okay. Um, this next section, Chris, is for those who are just starting out entrepreneurs who maybe they haven't launched their business yet because one of their key questions, and I guess it applies to everyone is how do you get your first customers? So uh, how did you go about it? Was it word of mouth or did you have some sort of specific marketing channel that assisted you in getting your first client? Yeah. So, so I think of it as sort of concentric circles, right? So, you know, the inner circle is people, you know, right. right? Know very well, or at least you know them, you're acquainted. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's where your initial customers come from. Uh, but that's never enough. Um, right. And then the next circle is referrals and recommendations and people that are one degree away. And whether okay. you're, whether you're having coffee with them or lunch or you're emailing them or they're seeing you on LinkedIn, I think of it as, you know, these concentric circles, there's that sort of second degree of, uh, away, you know, two, two degrees away. Okay. Um, and that, uh, you know, that, there's almost no business where your network is enough. It can get you in the early stages, some, some lighthouse customers, some early wins, you know, maybe a million or two in sales if you're a software business, but it's not going to make you a 30 or 50 or $100 million business on your network. And that's right. where I find a lot of founders, they focus heavily on those networking introductions because they're easy and low hanging fruit, but the problem is they're not enough. Right. So, so I'm assuming there's a third circle. Yeah. So, so the third circle is, uh, in my view, just using email campaigns and LinkedIn in certain specific ways that I do it and our clients, we have our clients do it. Um, and that, you know, and then there's trade shows, but I guess trade shows are not that big right now in COVID times, but, 
Um, sure. Those are the tactics that, you know, are the most effective in my experience. Um, those well, three... I mean, for, for me, I would at least want to ask if any kind of SEO or Google campaigns are of any value to you? Do you use them? Do you use uh, Google PPC for any of your work? Not in the least, no. And I think that's a peculiarity of, of, of the category. Uh, okay. uh, you know, if I, were, if I were trying to sell, you know, a consumer product, right, I would certainly find that really, really important. Like if I had the world's greatest pasta sauce, right? I would okay. need people searching for pasta sauce to find me. But nobody's searching for what we do, you know, not in sufficient number to make it viable to target them that way. Okay, so you currently when business comes in, do you, do you get it more through the, the, the other circles that you mentioned? Does, does your website play any sort of uh, key factor in, in getting new clients? It does. So the, the dynamic is that we've worked, so, so those circles that we're talking about, Rami, are not yeah. static, right? So we've grown that LinkedIn network from about 3,000 uh, connections on LinkedIn to 10,000. Okay. Um, and not just random people, but, you know, valuable folks in the right categories that I do want to get to know and, and collaborate with. Um, you know, folks that are in the right, in the right sectors, in the right titles. Um, and so with that size of a network, three times larger, when we post content on LinkedIn two or three times a week, yeah, we get a reaction to that. We get visibility, you know, sure. so over time fo folks are seeing us five or 10 or 15 times. Uh, so when somebody needs something, that is the route they'll come through usually in 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 a in not just a one-off way but it's connected it's like hey we're connected on linkedin and i i talked to this founder that knows you and i i ping this person that knows you and then also as part of that they come to the website and i've had somebody say yeah you have a much better website than the average consultant you know you must because i feel like we're talking about marketing expertise if our website sucks you know where's the credibility <laughs> sure I mean, the, the reason I asked this question, I was doing a little bit of uh, research before this call. And I saw, for example, like terms like strategies for market penetration, which gets like uh, 1,600 searches per month, for example. Mm -hmm. it, would you consider that to be too low for you? Yeah, I would. I think it's now maybe I maybe I need to look at it in a broader way, but my experience has been that there needs to be that element of trust because either people okay. know me directly or they know somebody that knows me because if you go and Google enterprise lead generation, you're going to get 75 million hits from 14 million different companies that claim to do that. No right. founder is going to look at that Google search and go, "Ah, oh, yeah, I need Barnett, right?" <laughs> yeah. So it's the it's it, it's the valid 
because what am I going to say? Our stuff is effective. Our stuff is cost effective. Our, I mean, there's, the words are just empty and there's too much noise. Whereas right, right. when they talk to three, pe three people that they know who used us and were successful, then, you know, they don't need a Google search for that. Sure. But I mean, even, even your name, by the way, is getting 1,300 searches a month. That's pretty good. <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, if you don't mind, uh, we'll wrap up with the famous five. Sure. Okay. Number one, uh, what's your favorite business book? Yeah. My favorite business book is uh, called Extreme Productivity, and it's by a guy named Robert Posen. And he's interesting to me because at least at the time he wrote this book, he had two full-time jobs. Uh, he was a, a full-time professor at Harvard, and he also was a full-time CEO and, and lead executive of an investment company. So he <laughs> talks about, obviously, how he got a lot of stuff done per unit of time. Sure. Okay, uh, number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Yeah, and that's a good one. It's not any of the celebrity, you know, Fortune 50 CEOs. Um, sure. I'm a huge fan of uh, Dave Grannon out in Redwood City, California, who's the CEO of Light. Uh, and I've worked with him for, for a long, you know, almost 10 years at two different companies. Um, and he probably doesn't know this because he's modest and I wouldn't probably tell him this and embarrass him, but a lot of what I do every week is based on what I've learned from him in terms of leadership um, and how to be productive uh, and how to motivate a team. Perfect. Okay, uh, number three, what would you say is your favorite online tool for growing your business? Yeah, I mean, it has to be HubSpot. We've been working with HubSpot in various ways for, you know, seven years. Most of our clients have used it. We used it. Uh, the integration to every other tool that you might use from, you know, LinkedIn to, you know, Zoom to seven other things uh, is sure. what makes that makes that so valuable. And the, the, what they charge for it compared to what you get out of it is a really good value. Absolutely. Okay, um, number four, if you could give your 20-year-old self a piece of advice, what would it be? You know, Rami, I think you broke up a little there. Could you mind repeating that one? No problem. So if you could give your 20-year-old self a piece of advice, what would it be? Yeah, I would go back and say that the, the positive things that happen in life business or life and the negative things that happen in business and life, how it appears at the time these events happen is totally different than how it turns out. You know, like you think it's great, you get a certain promotion or something happens that you think is good. And then you find out later that actually turned out to be a terrible thing. And the setback that you experienced or the, the awful thing that happened, you know, that evolves into you know some life lessons so you know i think in life we we keep score up to the second on the the goods and the bads and and over time it really uh evolves to something very different than it appears at the instant i agree with that for does sure. that makes does that make sense it does yes okay and the final question is how many hours of sleep do you get every night 
Yeah, you know, I, I get I get a good six or seven, and I know it's kind of trendy to to sort of be as intense and po- as possible and and sleep as little as possible. But I just don't think that's healthy. You know, like right. if I can't get all my work done in eighteen hours and have <laughs> six left over to sleep, then I'm not working very effectively. <laughs> no, no, that makes sense for sure. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I hope to maybe have a follow-up call a year from now to see what new things are happening at Barnett Strategies. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure to participate in this, Rome. I really appreciate your time and the invite. Um, And let us know when this gets posted so we can go check it out. Sure, no problem. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks. Have a great long weekend. You too. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Thanks for watching today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on any of the available podcast platforms so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. If you have an extra minute, leaving a review would help us grow.